Welcome back. West Bank Bible Church Podcast. I'm Dave. I'm here with Pastor Merritt for another episode. Today, we'll be doing Matthew 13 parables. And that is in the outlines and attached to the podcast itself. And there's a number of charts uh, in there for you to see. So we encourage you to please uh, go ahead and open up that PDF. Take a look. Follow along. uh, Hear it. Say it, read it. Those three things put together are the best thing for our memories to retain it, which you probably already know. Before we begin, as is our custom, let's remember 1 John 1 9, as may or may not be necessary. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and utilize 1 John 1, 9 as David indicated. And that way we can be taught by the Spirit. Let us pray. Father, we are grateful for the opportunity to name sin back to you and thus uh, be filled with the Spirit and thus uh, become teachable. So guide us now and direct us, for I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Mer, before you begin, it sounds like we're going to have uh, our big American bulldog cheering us on today. We, <laughs> they probably can hear that on there too, but that's Clementine cheering us on. So let, please right. continue. All right. Yeah, I've already, been, I've already had a conversation with him. Okay, point one, Matthew 13 parables. Christ in Matthew chapter 13 presents several parables about two ages to come. Our Lord makes public his kingdom offering has been rejected. No longer will he refer to Israel as being the recipient of an, quote, at hand, close quote, kingdom. Prior to the book of Matthew, particularly Matthew 13 parables, Christ's kingdom was often described as being at hand. In the Old Testament and early kingdom age, Israel's dispensation perspective is best described in chart form, and the entire chart can be seen on our website, which gives you a sub- several subdivisions of the Gentile, Israel, and kingdom ages. All right, now let's go to 2.1 in our lesson plan. John the Baptist alerted Israel of Christ's kingdom being at hand. The Lord himself often spoke of the kingdom being at hand under point 2.2 2 
Matthew 3, 1 and 2, for example. In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Mark picks up, in Mark 1, 14 and 15, and writes, Now after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. It's John's, excuse me, Mark's method in Mark 1.15. The kingdom of heaven is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel, the good news. Then under 2.2.1, Jesus, after this temptation in the wilderness, announced his kingdom was at hand. Mark 4.17 from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus told the twelve disciples to go out and announce to Israel that the kingdom is at hand. He said that in Matthew 10, 7 again, And ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The tribulation period, you can know as a fact, the kingdom will again be at hand, save our Lord, says our Lord. Luke 21, 29 through 32. And he spoke to them a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. Luke 30. When they now shoot forth, ye see and know of your own selves that summer is now nigh or near at hand. So likewise ye, when ye see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is at hand. Luke 21, 32, Verily I say unto you, This generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. The tribulation begins immediately following the rapture and lasts seven years. The kingdom with Christ as the resident leader of Israel must await the second advent. By hindsight, we know his kingdom awaits events future. The two inter-advent ages are the church age and the tribulation. And this can be seen on a chart underneath page 4. 
clearly there will be an interval and during that interval several changes will occur. The interval, though technically indeterminate, consists of two future ages beginning in AD 70 and extending through the tribulation. The church age began with the destruction of the temple in 70 AD. The indeterminate nature of the two ages is a product of the indeterminate tenure of the church age. The tribulation consists of two, three and one half year periods, thus seven years. And then we have our chart. All right, let's take a look at 4.1 underneath the chart for better, for clearer explanation. Since Israel rejected the offered kingdom, the question naturally arises, what will happen to God's kingdom program? The kingdom has been rejected and the king is absent. This is something Christianity, since its early councils, has wrestled. 4.2. Let's begin our analysis of the Matthew 13 parables. Jesus will teach eight parables to describe what will happen when his kingdom message is rejected. Before you begin, on the outline that's uh, on the website, it says seven. But on the newer version that you have, it says eight. Just right, let's if you are following along. Let's flip over here. Since the kingdom is based on an irrevocable and unconditional covenant, it is unthinkable that the kingdom promise should be abandoned. You can see the chart below that shows the kingdom being removed to heaven until it's more appropriate and then it's implemented during the millennium. Uh, your analysis of that will be helpful in learning just exactly when the various parables occur. And uh, let's see what we can do here with 4.4 with further explanation. The chapter 13 parable unveiled the events in the development of the kingdom program. That starts with the time of the rejection of our Lord until it is received by Israel at his second advent. Better said, he is received and his kingdom is received at his second advent. The parables to come describe the form of the kingdom while the king is absent. The king is in heaven waiting events future. Let's take a look at the Matthew 13 parables in more detail and how they provide one of the few 
glimpses into the future to inner Advent dispensations found in the Gospels. A look at our <clears throat> intercalation chart will help us orient to the demise of the kingdom offering and the inter-advent replacements. We then have following an intercalation chart which shows how the church age is inter in intercalated between a kingdom age and the tribulation. And now for the subject, Jesus teaches in parables. Matthew 3, 1 and 3, 2. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. David, how much you taking over with Matthew thirteen three through All right. nine? All right, that's the uh, parable of the sower. And it's, as he mentioned, that's Matthew thirteen three through nine. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places, where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up, because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. The parable of the sower explained. The Lord himself interpreted the parable of the sower. Matthew 13, verse 18 through 23. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth not, then cometh the, cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. But he that received the seed into stony places the same is he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word, and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit, and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, sixtyfold, and some thirty. There are four types of individuals listed in this first parable. There is the unbeliever of Matthew 13.4. The bird is the devil and the seed is the gospel of salvation. Because it falls by the wayside, the bird is able to snatch it away. The second individual, described in 13.5 and 6, 
excuse me, is a believer who receives the word and there is enough soil, positive volition, for the salvation doctrine to take hold. But because of subsequent tribulation and persecution, his spiritual growth ceases and he, though a believer, soon becomes a casualty in the angelic conflict. The third individual of Matthew 13, 7, likewise is a believer, but the seeds fall among thorns, but nonetheless less he received it only to find the deceitfulness of riches chokes the word, and he becomes unfruitful. Though a believer, he is just another casualty of the angelic conflict. And lastly, our hero, who receives the word and continues in it until he produces just exactly what God would have him produce. Our next parable is the parable of the tares. And that's Matthew 13, 24 through 30. Another parable was put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence thou hast it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hast done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye roots up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, ye gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn, but gather the wheat into my barn. The parable explained. The Lord also interpreted the parable of the tares. And that's 1336 through 43. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth, then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. The true sowing, emphasized in this parable, will be limited by a false sowing. There is to be a side-by-side -side development of that which is good with that which is evil because of the two sowings. There will be a judgment at the end of the age to separate the good from the evil. 
the wheat will be received into the millennial kingdom and the tares excluded. The devil comes in and sows the tares or darnel wheat. The tares in the Greek is a particular kind of worthless wheat, which grows up in the fields and looks like good wheat. The difference is it is poisonous to man, herbivorous animals causing nausea, vomiting, and even death in some. As a seed, it looks the same, and as a plant, it looks the same. The wheat represents the believer, and the tares the unbeliever. Many feel this is parable is to be related specifically to the tribulation excluding the church. Yet, it is true that the entire church age will be categorized by a false sowing in com- competition with the true. There are certainly several clear messages in this parable. First, do not try to get rid of the tares. After all, you can't tell the difference. And by all means, don't try to clean up the devil's world for, as J. Vernon McGee has written, God didn't call him to clean up the pond, but to fish out of it. Secondly, God will do the harvesting. And thirdly, you and I have been planted. We should think on that and be the very best plant possible. Bloom where you are. For it was God himself who planted you and gave you a special place in his garden. Pastor Merrick, keep us going with the parable of the mustard seed. The parable of the mustard seed. Matthew chapter 13, verse 31 and 32. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed which man took and sowed in the field, which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. More explanation about that old mustard seed, David. The church of the church age and the tribulation is characterized by the abnormal external growth. In the verse, the birds are used negatively, so it would seem logical that such would also be the interpretation here. Both Dwight Pentecost and H.A. Ironside agree that the mustard seed, though small, would grow until it became powerful in the world. The tree would seem to refer to a perversion of the church, which started from the small seed of faith. The tree groweth so powerful that the birds representing false teachers find a place in it. The birds then represent all kinds of false professors and evil teachers and false and evil congregants who find place in the branches of the growing church.
like in the case of the tares, believers and unbelievers worship and work side by side. Now let's take a look at the parable of the leaven. Matthew thirteen thirty three. Another parable spoke he unto them. The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. The parable of the leaven explained. Here we go. An explanation of the leaven. The yeast represents sin and evil, which mix during the inter-advent period with the universal church. This we have certainly seen in the age of the church. Also, a consistent symbolic meaning of leaven throughout Scripture as sin supports such a position including the Feast of Leaven. Once in the loaf, the yeast is indiscernible. It would seem any number of interpretations would fit so long as the symbol of the leaven represents false doctrine, sin and evil, makes it indistinguishably into the church loaf. The parable of the hidden treasure, Matthew thirteen forty four. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, which, which, when a man hath found it, he hideth it, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. C.I. Schofield writes, this is one of the most obvious of the parables. The field, according to Matthew thirteen thirty-eight, is the world which was purchased by the Lord Jesus uh, at the price of his own blood that he might have the treasure as Israel. You see, Israel was God's treasure in Old Testament time, so there is at the present time a remnant that is a remnant of Israel according to the election of grace. Those who compose the remnant are no longer reckoned as Jews, but as members of the one body, together with several Gentiles, and thus Christ's inheritance, and his great joy. All right, the parable of the pearl of great price. Matthew thirteen forty-five and 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking godly pearls, who, when he had found one, that is one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. All right, now let's 
look at the pearl of the excuse me the parable of the pearl of, of great price explained this parable would seem to relate to the universal church of the church age given the fact that many pearls are sought in the sea or ocean the sea is symbolic of the nations. Pearls are a product of accretion, that is to say, growth or increase in size is a product of gradual external addition, fusion, or inclusion. So it would seem to be with the church. Christ, having given himself for the pearl, is now preparing it for presentation. It goes without saying, however, that Christ's purchase included both Jew and Gentile, church-age saints being one in Christ, and this pearl, excuse me, this pearl is being prepared for presentation at his second advent. A pearl is subjected to darkness and the absence of air will turn this pearl to sand and it will become worthless just as sin, evil, and absence of doctrine in the life of a believer proves a deleterious regression in one of, or better said, one's spiritual life. Pearls, therefore, must be displayed or lose value. And thus a believer must let his light so shine before men, for he was bought with such a great price. David C.I. Schofield next covers the, the uh, parable of the dragnet. David, why don't you take over and tell us about the dragnet. Matthew 13, verses 47 to 50. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a net that was cast into the sea and gathered of every kind, which, when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. So shall it be at the end of the world. The angels shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. The parable explained, like Pastor Merritt mentioned by C.I. Schofield, seems to have the best interpreted this fairly obvious parable. The parable presents another view from that of the wheat and tares, that of the mystery of the kingdom as the sphere of profession. With this difference, there Satan was the active agent. Here, the admixture is more the result of the tendency of a movement to gather itself that which is not really of it. The kingdom of heaven is like a net which, cast into the sea of humanity, gathers of every kind, good and bad. These remain together in the net and not merely in the sea until the end of the age. It is not even a converted net, much less a converted sea. Much violence 
has been done to sound exegesis by the notion that the world is to be converted in this age. Against that notion stands our Lord's own interpretation of the parables of the sower, the wheats and tares, and the net. I recall a story from a seasoned fisher lady who would not swim in the ocean. She warned, I have seen too many really weird creatures pulled out of the sea. Indeed, there are some weird creatures that will one day be removed from the net and cast into the lake of fire. Pastor Mary, could you close us with a prayer? Okay, David. It's a privilege to understand that in the devil's world, we've got all sorts of weird characters, and yet uh, we have our Lord Jesus Christ who died for each and every one. So uh, help us to be ever mindful of our job is to get the pure word out, line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. For I ask these things in the name of all believers. And that reminds me, if you're not a believer, you need right now to quietly tell God the Father, I'm believing on God the Son and on the promise of the word, you will be saved. All right, David, take us home. Again, thanks for listening. We look forward to seeing you here next time. And until then, so long.